idiots i'm katie helper and i'm mary matte how are you katie i'm good you i'm great i received a new distinction this week um according to a study put out by somebody at the university of alberta i am a russian influenced account i'm a top russian influenced account wow on social media or just an influencer i've finally achieved the status of influencer which is what i've always wanted to be right i've always wanted to say that i'm an influencer and finally i've been bestowed that honor by this researcher at the university of calgary of of alberta and that's especially sweet for you probably because it's a canadian on canadian award that's right i'm finally being honored in my uh country of origin yeah. So it's very, very exciting. Yeah, look, no, this is some this is another one of these studies by people claiming to be concerned about disinformation. And it's basically they define disinformation as pretty much anything that goes against the NATO line about the crisis in Ukraine. And there's other funny criteria, too. Actually, we can look at it. So these are the criteria by which this study decided who is a Russian influenced account or who is, who is spreading Russian disinformation implying nato expansionism legitimizes the russian invasion okay no one i know legitimizes the russian invasion and we've talked about before katie on the show how i think the russian invasion is unjustified i'm just not going to pretend that the context in which it occurred doesn't exist that's my whole thing portraying nato as an aggressive alliance using ukraine as a proxy against russia well if that's a criteria for russian disinformation then so are a number of top influential U.S. political figures who, who've openly admitted right. that Ukraine is a proxy. Uh, like Lloyd Russia. Austin. Like Lloyd Austin, exactly. And look at this one, number three, promoting a general mistrust in institutions and elites. That's somehow now an act of Russian disinformation to promote yeah. mistrust in our rulers. Wow, that's then a lot of people are... are... I almost feel like this is award isn't fair because it should be given to so many more people. Yeah, it should be given given to anyone who has basically critical faculties and isn't right. an authoritarian who worships our leaders and thinks that they're the bee's knees. And uh, suggesting Ukraine is a fascist state or has extensive fascist influences, again, guilty when you have a openly neo-Nazi paramilitary battalion, the Azov Battalion, incorporated into your armed forces. And a number of fascists who were instrumental in the 2014 coup. Right. Uh, and then finally, promoting a specific mistrust of Canada's liberal government and especially of Prime Minister Trudeau. Also, let's also add to the um, fascist influences the fact that the president of Ukraine uh, declared Bandera a national hero, not the current president. That's right. Bandera was declared a uh, hero. Certainly, there are, there are people inside Ukraine who are in the government, in the armed forces, who definitely worship right. Stefan Bandera, the uh, Nazi collaborator. Uh, there are and, mayors who have his portrait behind yeah, oh, yeah. them. Yeah. yeah. And you can also listen, if you don't want to take our word for this or Aaron's word for this, because I sadly was snubbed by this by the award committee, uh, you could listen to Lev Galinkin, who we've had on the show, who is an actual Ukrainian, because people love to listen to Ukrainians. This is someone who very, uh, very strongly opposes Putin, opposes the war in Ukraine, and at the same time, lo and behold, is worried about the empowerment of fascist elements and Nazi elements in Ukraine. So yeah, uh, thank you to the University of Alberta for recognizing my my influence with your insane study. And I don't even know how, like, I don't even know what data they use to like determine, of course, that I'm spreading Russian uh, influenced 
claims, they don't really share their methodology. I asked the study's author to share that with me. He said he would, but I haven't heard from him yet. And I suspect I won't. Maybe, can we officially invite him onto Useful Idiots? Yeah, sure, let's do it. Let's, let's do, do it. it. We welcome you. Yeah. We welcome you. We wanna yeah. hear about your methodology. <laughs> and we won't even be hostile. We'll just ask you about it. You can just present your what you did. Yeah, and I should also mention that he, the study's author is funded by Canada's Department of Defense. He brags about being responsible for millions of dollars worth of funding. So certainly with that kind of support, I'm sure he has the time to come on and defend right. his his study with us. Aaron, it sounds like you're doing two things that make you uh, Russian influenced, which is you are uh, shedding uh, doubt about institutions and going after Canada. So you can't help yourself. That's how Fair Russian enough. influence you are. <laughs> Wait, you're a Russian influenced or Russian influencer? I, it doesn't really it doesn't really make sense. Like it's it's uh, the term is Russian influenced. Okay, so it's like an adjective. Yeah, got it. Yeah. Well, also on that list is our guest today, Max Blumenthal. He may overtake you, though. It's yeah. very generous of you to have him on, given <laughs> that you guys are kind of close. Yeah. All anyway. right. So should we get to our four yeah, food let's groups? Yeah, get to our four basic food groups. Yeah. What do we got for Democrats suck? So this week for Democrats suck, we have a situation right now where inflation is hitting record highs. Gas has just passed $5 per gallon. And we all know whose fault it is. According to our president, it's one man. His name is Vladimir Putin. We need a sound effect for him. Today's inflation report confirmed what Americans already know. Putin's price hike is hitting America hard. Uh, so, yes, yeah, all this is the fault of Vladimir Putin. Not any, anything to do with the U.S. leading the way in these sanctions on Russia that have had huge disruptions on the global economy, uh, raising the price of commodities, cutting off supply chains, on top of the supply chain problems that existed before Russia's invasion. And what's interesting is that although Biden seems so confident that most Americans blame Putin's price hike for everything, most Americans don't appear to feel the same way. This is from NBC News reporting on its own polling about whether Americans are siding with Joe Biden about Putin's price hike. President Biden is trying to label this Putin's uh, price hike. But most Americans, according to an NBC News poll, are not buying that. Only 6% blame Putin. Most believe President Biden's policies are very much to blame. So just 6%, according to that poll, are <laughs> buying this line about Putin's price hike. So Biden needs really a survey hike and who will join him in blaming Putin's price hike. I guess it's really Biden's price hike. More like Biden's price psych. Yeah, price hike psych. <laughs> uh, and meanwhile, what's funny is there are people inside the Biden administration that are starting to come to grips with the reality that, with the reality that they've helped cause. This is from Bloomberg with a new story based on interviews with Biden administration officials. Some Biden officials privately expressed concern that rather than dissuade the Kremlin as intended, U.S. sanctions have instead exacerbated inflation, worsened food insecurity, and punished ordinary Russians more than Putin or his allies. Wow, wow. Katie, who could have predicted that? Who could have ever seen that coming? <laughs> I mean, apparently only a bunch of Putinists such as ourselves. Yes, and now apparently some people inside... The Biden administration are starting to agree, so which makes them, I guess, purveyors of Russian. How far, how how entrenched the Putinist 
propaganda is that it's even infiltrated Biden's own administration. That's right. They are now spewing Putin talking points. That's right. And for that reason, Democrats suck. Can I add an addendum to Democrats suck for this week? Uh, a Pentagon official, this is reading at Democracy Now!, a Pentagon official has publicly said the Biden administration is not pr- pushing Ukraine to hold talks to end war. Colin Kahl, the Undersecretary of Defense for Policy, said, quote, we're not going to tell the Ukrainians how to negotiate, what to negotiate, and when to negotiate. Meanwhile, end quote, meanwhile, former Russian President Dmitry Medvedev has posted a message on Telegram suggesting Ukraine won't exist on world maps in two years. So... Uh, I like the way that um, Kahl is pretending that this is a question of, like, um, respecting Ukrainian sovereignty or something. We're not going to tell Ukrainians how to negotiate, what to negotiate, and when to negotiate. I mean, that's kind of what we do all the time to countries. And, of course, if we wanted to, uh, and, and that's also just not, you could also just call that diplomacy or trying to end a war. But they're spinning it in this woke um, national liberation and sovereignty language so that they can hide the fact that they are ghouls pushing the war. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's not true that we don't tell Ukraine how to negotiate because in April, after Zelensky released this 10-point peace plan that contained a lot of, I think, really encouraging proposals, including Ukraine committing to neutrality, Boris Johnson, the UK prime minister, was dispatched to go to visit Zelensky in Kiev and according to Ukrainian media, Boris Johnson told him, don't negotiate with Putin. And there's no way Boris Johnson was just freestyling this on, on his own. The UK is the US's junior partner. So I would bet anything that Boris Johnson was conveying the message from Washington and Zelensky yeah. has followed it. All right, so what do we have for Republicans? So for Republicans, suck, we have uh, Ohio Republican Governor Mike DeWine has signed a bill to make it easier for teachers and staff to carry guns in school. Isn't that great? Very uh, exciting. Very exciting. I'm sure, this will solve all the problems with going to save so many lives. Shootings. Yeah. So before uh, under the law, teachers and staff will need just 24 hours of training, down from 700 hours. Wow. So it used to be 700. Now, within a day, you can carry a gun at school. And you know who opposes this law? Who? Teacher unions and the Fraternal mm. Order of Police of Ohio. And what's crazy too, like, so are, are teachers going to? carry assault rifles because that's what so many of the shooters are armed with now which they can buy as soon as they turn 18. so i mean this whole thing is premised on teachers are going to be like they're not going to have assault rifles so they're going to have handguns right but is a handgun going to be able to stop someone with an assault rifle i don't think so hopefully no kids get shot in the crossfire if they do pull a gun it's just madness yeah it's just madness and he was asked if it would help and he was like i don't know there by Representative Paul that today Ohio is quote unquote doing something. Of course, that goes back to what was said after the Dayton shooting when there were members of the crowd that said quote unquote do something. Do you feel that what you're doing today is exactly what those people intended you to do? I don't know. know. So there you go. I like that. I appreciate his humility. Like I have no idea if I'm getting it right, but I also don't really care. That's what you want in a governor. Rare, Rare humility from a politician. Yeah. Much appreciated. So what do we got for isn't that weird? So for isn't that weird, we have some news from um, outer space and possibly a sign of extra extraterrestrial life. This is from CGTN, a suspicious radio signal with possible technological traces of civilizations beyond Earth was picked up Tuesday by China's Sky Eye Telescope. 
Japan announced last week the discovery of 23 types of amino acids in asteroid samples from space probe. I'm not smart enough to be able to say what the significance is of 23 types of amino acids, but these radio signals with possible technological traces of civilizations beyond Earth, that's, that's exciting. That's exciting. It's, I mean, it's, it could be weird. It could be cool. Yeah, and look, it's a tough time right now. So maybe our potential alien friends can save us from what we're going through. Maybe they have some creative ideas to solve uh, Putin's hope. price hike. Well, I, I can't help but notice, Aaron, that you shared something, a story from, where was that? What was that outlet that you shared from? CGTN. Can you tell viewers and listeners? Oh, yeah, CGTN is, is Chinese state media. Yeah. So I think Busted. Aaron's trying to, to get another award. <laughs> I think Aaron's just showing off now. Yeah. But you know what? This, this news actually spells trouble for me because when I was in like high school, I made a bet with my friend Jesse that I was on the side of that we're in, in our lifetime, as long as we're both alive, there's never going to be any aliens. Like they don't exist and we're never going to, we're never going to meet them. And he was like, just, he couldn't believe that I would have such an opinion because he's very convinced that we are, we do have alien friends. So this, I have to say, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit scared because if I lose this bet, it's going to be, um, you know, it's going to be tough because this is, we have a lot writing on this. And I was very confident that we're never going to meet right. any other forms of, of life. And, uh, but this could be it. And well, if so, I bet? welcome our new alien friends. If they, if this, if this really is them and I will admit defeat and pay up. Was it just, well, how much was the bet for? Did you set an amount? We bet some insane something? amount of money. That I don't even remember how much it was. We were both so confident in our positions, but it's like, and we both forgotten the amount, but it's, it was some insane amount of money. Like a hundred thousand dollars. It was something like that. It was, you know, because we, you know, we were just like we we're both so convinced that the other is so wrong. And the idea to, you know, at the time, the idea to me that like there could be other uh, forms of life out there was just so ridiculous. You know, I'm probably not as sure about that now as I was then, but mm. um, especially now with this news of this, uh, right, of the satellite pickup. You're more. You've become more Dewinian with age. Like yeah. Mike Dewine, more yeah. humble. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know what you could do if the bed is saying that they won't be found while both of you are alive. I don't want to say what you could do. Are, are you suggesting I murder my friends? I'm just okay. saying that's an option. I'm not <laughs> suggesting that. I'm yeah. making sure I'm actually condemning that, and I'm um, preemptively telling you not to do that. Okay. All right. You're welcome, Jesse. <laughs> yeah. And so for Isn't That Terrible, I have a, a kind of heartbreaking story. Now, people may know that I'm, um, uh, I'm a big fan of pigs. It's the reason I don't eat uh, anything, any red meat or pork. So this is a story. Let's just let's just play the video. I don't think I think it, it doesn't need introduction. In Carter County, authorities were on the hunt for a pig's owner after it turned up yet again along Judge Ben Allen Road. So cute. <laughs> <laughs> the animal's been spotted numerous times. Kind of hard to miss it, mm -hmm. right? Uh, around this general neighborhood, this is according to people who live there, the Carter County Sheriff's Office is taking it a step further. It's now legit. They've posted on Facebook. They're trying to find the animal's home. If the owner's not found, the process of getting her out of flower beds and gardens could get a bit more difficult. We have no way to transport a 300-pound pig. We have nowhere to put a 300-pound pig safely. Uh, unless we ask for a foster and we're happy to ask for a foster but still we have no way of transportation for that large of an animal 
Animal shelter leaders say they're hopeful a local farmer might step in with their own animal trailer to help pick her up. It looks like it's had a really good life. Yes, it's and not it's not hurting for food. It's not. And now we need a foster with a truck mm -hmm. and a ramp. That'll that'll get her there. And a lot of free time. A to B. Okay, that's terrible for a lot of reasons. And that, by the way, that's a story from Tennessee. It's terrible because I'm very upset that a pig has been probably kicked out of a home. Um, I know this from considering adopting a pig, that apparently a lot of pigs, they're Vietnamese potbelly pigs, or they're sold as that or portrayed as that, and then they get bigger than it, than the owner thought, and they give them up. They just leave. I know someone who found a pig on the side of the road and luckily took that pig in, named it Olive. But they're hard to keep. They can't go upstairs, apparently. But I didn't like, so I'm sad for that pig. I don't want to think about kind of the complex it's going to have after being kicked out. It's going to have a lot of body image issues. It's going to probably think that it's, it's, it's body weight that got it kicked out. And then you have these reporters basically laughing at how well fed that pig is. So a lot of body shaming. Um, also the suggestion that a farmer could pick it up. We all know how that ends. Bacon, ham, other forms of violence. So, I just really hope that this pig is taken in by a loving family who lives on one story and uh, given a happy life because pigs are so cute. And how would you describe that pig for people just listening? Well-fed. Full-figured. Full-figured, yeah. yeah. Portly. Portly, yeah. Very um, cute. Yeah. If you like pigs. Which we obviously do. Yeah. Uh, you, ob you obviously do. I, I'm not going to. Are you, uh, are you pig agnostic or are you a pig hater? <laughs> are you, a pig hater? you know, I, I just, uh, I feel for that pig. It, that's got to be no, really tough. Pig. Yeah. And uh, yeah, all the logistical problems that that creates for that town, I, I hope it gets resolved. Yeah. Wilson, do you think that pig is cute? I think pigs in general are cute. I think that one, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be one of the ones body shaving it, but it was a little much. What? Look at its face. It, it reminded me of a what? What were those things called? The the water uh, water bears. It, it doesn't look like one of those. Kind of, but water bears are beautiful too. No, those now you're look like shame water bears. Air mattress okay. blow up things. Also very cute. <laughs> you're just convincing me how cute this pig is. Wow. All right. Well, let us know, fam, what you think. I I'm a, I'm actually more hurt because Wilson, you're a pig lover apparently, and you don't think that pig is cute. Aaron obviously has a heart of stone, doesn't like pigs, so it's less uh, offensive that he doesn't think that one is cute. I'm sorry, Kitty. I'm sorry. Well, and those are our four basic food groups, not including the pig. Don't even think about Don't even think about it. Food. Yeah. <laughs> we have a great interview coming up for you. Yes, this week we are joined by Max Blumenthal, our friend, my colleague. He's the editor of The Gray Zone and author of several books, including The Management of Savagery. And him and I were just censored on YouTube. We did a long segment about a really important piece that came out in the gray zone about a British journalist plotting to take down the gray zone uh, in concert with uh, members of the national security state. And so we talked about it on YouTube and we got censored. The whole video was removed. So we're gonna talk about the article and the fact that the video we did was censored. And the Gray Zone, for those of you who don't know it, and of course you all should, is a great news site that, as Aaron said, uh, Max founded and Aaron also contributes to. All right, let's go to Max Blumenthal.
welcome. Good to see you. How you doing? Good, you? Pretty well. It's been a big week. Yeah. Well, you guys both uh, as members of the Gray Zone, uh, as contributors of the Gray to the Gray Zone, Max is obviously the founder and, and editor of the Gray Zone. You've been uh, in the middle of quite a, an epic saga. Can you tell us about Mason Gate, as you guys have christened it, uh, who Paul Mason is and what he's been doing? Yeah, but are, are we allowed to christen things or is there some other word for what me and Aaron would do? Why? Because you're Jews? Yeah. As a Jew, uh, I can I christen Mason Gate? I think you can. Okay. Well, I, I, I christened Mason Gate. The, the hashtag is going around. Paul Mason's name has been trending. Uh, it trended for two days in a row in the UK following our first piece. And we have a second piece up containing disclosures that I think are actually more damning than those in the first. And so I think for viewers, it's important to first understand who Paul Mason is before we explain the story that sent his name trending for reasons he would prefer. It was a rare case where his name was trending and he didn't like it. Right. So Paul Mason is probably one of the best known journalists in the UK. And the most famous left-wing journalist in the UK. I mean, he has positioned himself quotes. as a man. Yeah, yeah. Well, sure. Um, he's positioned himself as a left-wing journalist. He was the go-to person when Greece had its uprising against the austerity imposed upon it. He even positioned himself as an ally of Palestine. I met him briefly at a people's tribunal in Brussels on Israel's assault on Gaza. He then positioned himself as unofficial media spokesman for Jeremy Corbyn when he was labor leader. Behind the scenes, he was actually kind of conniving against Corbyn. But the media in the UK decided that Paul Mason had his finger on the pulse of the British grassroots left. Now, those of us who've been around the British grassroots left or even the US left knew another side of Mason that he was actually kind of a, a neocon type, which isn't surprising given his Trotskyist background that he comes from Trotskyist circles in the 80s. He's really invested in regime change programs. He has become increasingly militaristic in recent years. And as conflict in Ukraine broke out and erupted into full-scale war in late February, Mason first led what he called a UK left delegation to Ukraine and then returned and led a series of trade union rallies for military intervention in Ukraine. And it looked as though a bunch of uh, NATO staff had gotten out in the street to impersonate leftists and unionists. It was a bizarre event. Michael Tracy kind of exposed as, as such. So like Mason was trying to lead the left-wing chorus for World War III. And in the process, he became obsessed with any and anyone and everyone on the left in the UK and the US and mainly on Twitter who was making noise in the opposite direction, who was criticizing uh, massive arms shipments to Ukraine. So that would mean Aaron Mate got on his radar. I got on his radar. So many people got on his radar that he published a series of pieces culminating with a column in the New Statesman, which he frequently contributes to the center-left British publication, calling for state action, in his words, against 
the what he called the pro-Putin left. And he singled me and Aaron out in that piece. And it was called Empower the People to Win the War on Disinformation. The left should champion <laughs> state and community action to challenge the lies of its own pro-Kremlin fringe. Yeah, so pe people power in his view, we soon learned after we were able to view emails between Mason and several intelligence linked figures or straight up intelligence officials that he was actually colluding with the British intelligence services or attempting to collude in order to launch uh, first an investigation against the gray zone, as well as an anti-gray zone summit in London at the offices of an intelligence contractor called Valent Projects, which had run several information warfare operations in Syria run by a character named Amil Khan, who he'd previously exposed at the Gray Zone astroturfing YouTube projects and just being generally shady. They also invited Bellingcat, which Aaron has written and talked about a lot, is a US and UK state funded supposed open source journalistic collective, one of the most celebrated media organizations in the West. They wanted to invite them to this summit where they were going to supposedly plot the destruction of the gray zone. And all on the basis of Paul Mason's imaginary fantasy that we were actually hiding the fact that we were a Kremlin information warfare vehicle posing as a grassroots uh, independent journalistic outfit, which you know really is a projection of what Paul Mason is doing. The, the, the irony here is also that Paul Mason was plotting to set up what he called an in, international information brigade, which would be a state-run propaganda organization pushing war in Ukraine and attacking, smearing, naming and shaming anyone opposed to that war within the UK left. And it would all be run with what he called a Russian dollar matryoshka approach, um, where you know nested within a seemingly organic veneer was the committed group of individuals who are intelligence officers and journalists who are their assets like himself. I Isn't mean, this is suspicious that he would use the Matryoshki doll as a comparison that suggests yeah. close relate, close cultural ties or affinity with Russia. Well, definitely it, it, it suggests an emulation of what he imagines Russia to be doing. Yeah. And you see in throughout these emails, he's using all of this, this John le Carré, Graham Green spook language about needing to have clean phones and um, using you know white label organizations and encrypted emails. Even as he somehow, you know, bungled his way into getting exposed, he's kind of like a Walter Mitty type who has obviously imagines himself operating in some cloak and dagger clandestine fashion against the Russian disinformation war, and really has been embarrassed. And uh, with one particular email where he provides, and I'll explain the figure that he's um, providing all this to in a second, but he provides to his intelligence source a what he calls a mind map of the UK left. So these emails show kind of a plot uh, launched by Paul Mason or an attempt from Paul Mason to organize uh, a way to take down the gray zone. So I'm just going to read one of the more significant emails. Uh, he writes, I'm keen to help re-gray zone. If you have any access to resources and expertise here is what I suggest. A dynamic map of the left pro-Putin infosphere. I made one of the British left Putin influencers that I can share with you, but a more useful project would be to get pro-traffic analysts to map how the different echo chambers interact, where their material begins, 
and work out who might be willing, who might be pulling the strings. We could use the Jacques Bode article on Ukraine as an example of purposefully created disinfo. Um, I'm sure we can get it on screen now. Yeah. It's one of the most bonkers charts uh, if you consider the implications of it. So you can see uh, to the, on the left of the chart, the Chinese and Russian state. So the official enemies in the great power competition in the new Cold War are naturally there. But as you move right, you start to see everyone that Paul Mason imagines as a Trojan horse asset or useful idiot of the Russian and Chinese state until we start to arrive towards the center at figures within Jeremy Corbyn's immediate orbit, like Diane Abbott, a member of parliament, and then Corbyn himself is there. So this is someone that Paul Mason claimed to support and kind of represent within the media is targeted as a key vehicle here of Russian and Chinese influence. And then you continue to move to the right until you arrive all the way on the right. You can see in white, the text there identifies key labor constituencies in the upper right-hand corner, the Muslim community, then the young network left, then the black community, and then Scottish nationalism. So the whole Scottish nation. And this is Paul Mason's enemies list. He, so he's basically what he's saying is that Russia and China are corrupting the black and Muslim community, as well as, you know, the young network left, which would basically be like your audience. And the left therefore needs to be neutralized through state okay. action. I mean, the whole left, it's like everyone, Medea Benjamin's there, Code Pink, the Morning Star, which is Britain, Britain's oldest newspaper. It's a socialist newspaper uh, funded by labor unions. That he, he wants them all taken out uh, because of this war that he has to wage. So who is Paul Mason's contact? This is, this is kind of a funny aspect of the piece. We actually had to issue a correction because we had identified some of the emails between Mason uh, and his contacts wrongly. And we realized that one of the people he was emailing was named Andy Price, was an intelligence figure within the British Foreign Office at a secretive unit called the um, Counter Disinformation and Media Development Unit that was basically targeting the same, many of the same people are sought to target many of the same figures and organizations that Mason wanted to target, but with the power of the British state was compelling YouTube to take down RT and so-called Russian stuff, according to this figure, Andy Price. He has since been moved into a, another counter disinformation unit operating within the British government. So for those of you watching, if you followed the whole saga of uh, weird Nina Yankovic, or Weird Nina Jankovitz, you know, who is the head of the Department of Homeland Security's scandal-ridden disinformation governance board, and she was basically booted out. Well, she, this is the British version, and it appears that she had, no, and that doesn't appear, we have concrete proof that she was in contact with Andy Price, her British counterpart, Mason's confrere, and probably his handler, in the intelligence services and that they were collaborating and talking about how they could take down consortium news, which is another independent outlet that does a lot of the same kind of work that we do at the gray zone, kind of exposing imperial deceptions, et cetera, the kind of things that upset these figures. 
So here you have had, just had their PayPal removed, right? The, they, they've had their PayPal removed. So had Mint Press and actually Mason was proposing that as a model for targeting us. He and his other intelligence buddy, Amil Khan, called for the relentless deplatforming uh, de of the gray zone and a full nuclear legal assault. And we've already faced a phony slap lawsuit that we defeated after several years that was conceived by many of the same elements and with the same intention of just kind of squeezing us financially until we just gave up. This is just an attack on independent journalism being waged by a journalist with the intelligence services colluding with intelligence figures who had previously been unknown to the public before they were exposed several years ago. So this to me is one of the biggest media scandals of the year. I, I don't think there's any denying it. Everyone in the UK is talking about it who's in the media. I don't think anyone is unaware of what's going on there. You look at, go to Paul Mason's Twitter account. He just blocked me after like following me for a few weeks so he could monitor me. He wanted to know about the, the methods that me and Aaron use, like writing stuff on WordPress and doing live streams, you know, these subterfuge methods. Having sources, yeah. getting leaked documents, that kind of stuff, right. journalism. And also another level, right, is that you expose, uh, you receive these, these leaks, you expose what he had uh, written, and then you talk about it on a YouTube stream and you are, have that video removed then it's reinstated and then it's removed once again. Exactly. First time that's ever happened to us at the gray zone. And it's, it's not like we're doing cat videos. We touch on a lot of controversial political topics, right? but we do our best to be as factual as possible. And we don't engage in the harassment or bullying of private individuals, which is forbidden on YouTube. However, that video, which was a two and a half hour live stream in which Aaron and me presented the emails and kind of, you know, bagged on Mason a little bit. That video was removed on the basis of bullying and harassment. Who do we bully and harass? Mason is a public figure. Everyone we spoke about in that video is a public figure and therefore it does not violate YouTube's uh, terms of use or its guidelines on bullying and harassment. So what happened there? I think we can deduce that Someone like Andy Price, who actually has boasted in these emails of taking down what he calls Russian stuff from YouTube, basically going to YouTube, he has the contacts and telling them what to take down, that he just issued an order to a supposedly private platform. So what we're facing here is a security state censorship operation to suppress and cover this deeply embarrassing and highly revealing story up that has so many dimensions to it and is not nearly extinguished in what we're going to report. It's, I mean, it's ironic and disturbing, right? Because you had Mason calling for major deplatforming of you. Then you actually expose some of his private emails that again, you did not hack. You received these links. You report on them much like other uh, outlets ranging from the BBC uh, to the Intercept to the New York Times do. That's what journalists do. You do that and then they get you, or one of your videos at least, deplatformed. He calls for harassing, bullying, and censoring us, right? Right, right. Yep. So yep. we get the leak showing that and we talk about it on YouTube and then we end up getting accused of harassment and bullying and getting censored. So by us talking about his plans to harass and bully us, 
Yeah, how dare uh, we actually he actually achieves one of his goals in that we get censored. So, right, right. you know, uh, congratulations to him, I suppose, on on uh, achieving one of his aims. But what's funny, Katie, about these about these emails is that with all his paranoid uh, plans about us and scheming ways to take us down and squeezing us financially and uh, talking about the need to act as if he's some sort of serious spy and use clean phones and have infosec and all this stuff, <laughs> it doesn't occur to him to just write an article debunking us. Right. Like if you're yeah. so convinced that we're wrong, just do what, you know, uh, what traditionally is done for people who are intellectually honest, which is just take someone's arguments or their journalism and debunk it. I mean, we've written a lot. Max right. publishes a lot of work uh, of his own that he also edits as well. So just put out article debunk it. But of course he can't do that because the facts aren't, aren't on his side. And so the hence this like paranoid fantasy world of like coming up with ways to take us down, including trying to appeal to the British state. I mean, he talks, he has this contact with this guy, Andy Price, uh, who works for the British government. And uh, with his other contact, Emil Khan, they talk about lodging complaints about the gray zone with uh, the British uh, regulatory body that oversees broadcast media in a bid to trigger some sort of investigation of us. I mean, that's what he's left to resort to because he can't actually engage with us on the journalism we produce. And he says he doesn't want to go toe-to-toe uh, -to -toe with you guys. He actually owns the fact that he can't engage you guys on your arguments. And we should at some point read some of the greatest hits from the leaked emails. But I just wanted to bring up one other thing, which is that what we see and what you guys are describing is this total weaponization of victimhood and the weaponization of civility politics so that the very people who are literally, literally calling for you to be bullied and harassed and deplatformed, that very person then plays the victim. And we see this a lot. We saw this a lot with the Bernie bro narrative where everything that was critical was framed as some kind of misogynist harassment. And in his open, in his published piece, not in the, in the leaked emails, but in his published piece, we even see this with um, his description of Jankowitz. He writes, U.S. federal government uh, announced the formation of a disinformation governance board within the Department of Homeland Security, led by the 33-year-old Infowar expert Nina Jankowitz. The move was <laughs> greeted with outrage. The disinformation websites led the charge, terrorizing and ridiculing Jankowitz, who, being educated female and feminist, fell into their prime target category. Photographs and videos from her teenage life Teenage to young adult life were splashed across the internet. A procession of white male and middle-aged quote-unquote anti-woke commentators labeled the organization a ministry of truth. I love oh the idea that God. literally labeling this organization a ministry of truth is some kind of anti-feminist, anti-woke harassment. Like you couldn't get more substance-based and less smeary than calling this a ministry of truth. It, and it's like he expects people to just fall for this. I mean, as a feminist, not to not to be that guy or that gal or that feminist, but it's just it's such cringe material. How yeah, dare that's he? Uh, Taylor Lorenz, who seems to have been kind of like friendly with Nina Jankowitz, is definitely involved in the the disinformation beat. And disinformation is just code for anything that upsets or interferes with the objectives of the establishment and its dominant centrist or liberal wing, which they both represent. Uh, and what she's accusing people of doing is journalism, you know, digging up stuff from Jankowitz's past. That's that's just what people do. That's what Taylor Lorenz does to people who aren't as powerful as Nina Jankowitz, who are like private citizens. So and, and, and she's the model of what journalism is supposed to be. 
you're not supposed to do what we're doing, which is punching up. <laughs> you're that's that that means you're bullying and harassing people because those people are untouchable. They can't yeah. be touched. And I don't know if you remember, uh, Katie, when you and Matt interviewed me at Rolling Stone Studios and I talked about the Syrian white helmets and how they were an information warfare operation that was being instrumentalized by US and UK intelligence, all of these elements that are in play here in this story. And you and Matt came under attack from a, a concerted, very well-organized operation to try to pressure Rolling Stone into cutting your show. And they tried, they were very upset that I wasn't, you know, castigated and marginalized and that I was even allowed to be there. Many of the figures involved in that campaign are in the same orbit as Andy Price and Paul Mason and have been involved for years in collaborating with the British state, often through cutouts, through third-party organizations to smear us and try to get us deplatformed, removed from sites like Patreon. All the, the entire campaign Mason's laying out is just recycling the campaign that has already been enacted against us. And so why I think this story is so important for us is it vindicates what we've always been saying, which is that the campaign to destroy the gray zone and everyone around it is not organic or grassroots. It is guided by and influenced by the same state actors that have been participating directly in the dirty war in Syria and are now participating and helping to guide a proxy war in Ukraine and an information war across the West. Also, they're also gaslighting. Just one more thing about the weaponization of victimhood. I've got to point out that they are doing, they're engaging in major gaslighting, which is that they're calling for the harassment of you guys and then turning around and pretending to be victims of harassment campaigns. Definitely. So got to put that another woke piece, another tool in my toolbox that I'm taking out that I'm going to unpack is the gaslighting. This is a gaslighting free zone. Yeah, there's this academic who's involved in this. Uh, there are emails of, of her and Mason where she's contributing to his demented mind map. And she's saying like, why don't you go after Declassified UK, which is an independent site run by a historian and a journalist in the UK. Why don't you put them on your map of a, you know, Kremlin bad disinfo bad guys or whatever. And, and she's running around on Twitter claiming that she's being harassed because we exposed that and that she's, she's playing the victim. I don't know if she's invoked the sexism card yet. You know, if this is, if this is patriarchy in action because we published these emails, but she's, she's edging in that direction. And she contracted a lawyer to send us a cease and desist letter as, as, as though what we're doing is not in the public interest. So there's a video that I wanted us to look at. Uh, Max, can you set this up? It's uh, Owen Jones interviewing Paul Mason. Owen Jones is a one of the more prominent British left-wing figures. He's kind of like what Mason used to be a few years ago in that he's been positioned as the gatekeeper to the respectable left. Do you think that all Labour figures who support arming Saudi Arabia, who are on record supporting arming, arming Saudi Arabia as it carpet bombs Yemen, I'm including people who've supported selling weapons to Saudi Arabia, like Luke Akers, who sits on the National Executive Committee. And I also mean dozens, and we're talking dozens of Labour MPs who voted 
in 2016. They defied the whip when Jeremy Corbyn put down a motion, although I can't remember, the motion was on arming Saudi Arabia. Do you think they should be kicked out of the Labour Party? If you support no, the... What? No. What? Oh, okay. <laughs> you, Yemen no, is the biggest no, humanitarian okay. crisis on earth. You do then, Owen. Are you saying Lukakis should be kicked out of the Labour Party? No, I, no I'm not. You're the one who's saying people should be kicked yeah, out of the Labour Party. I am. Party. So I'm I'm making making a difference. Issue. But, yeah, please, What's the difference? We, we, Yemen's the worst humanitarian we're, crisis on earth. They, they are murdering children in buses we're developing with bombs some, from Britain. Some understanding here. There are many differences that are containable within the Labour Party. But for me, the difference that says NATO is the aggressor in uh, in the right. Ukraine crisis is not containable. So he's saying basically to just so Owen Jones is calling out this double standard, right? Because uh, Mason is saying that people who believe that NATO is the aggressor, they should be removed from the Labour Party because that's not containable. That disagreement is not containable within the Labour Party. But people who support um, funding Saudi Arabia to kill uh, Yemeni civilians, that's a difference that's containable within the Labour Party. And then we're going to get to, he's going to continue to explain why that is. And to hear the rest of the interview, please go to usefulidiots.substack.com. Well, that was great. Good to hear from Max as always. Very good to hear from Max as always, yes. Welcoming him back to Useful Idiots. Let's see if people try to get a shutdown again. I'm sure they'll try. I'm sure let's they'll see try. If we, if we survive this, let's see if this stream survives on YouTube. Let's see if it gets demonetized. You know what? I'm thinking it won't. So now is as good time as ever to support Useful Idiots at usefulidiots.substack.com. That's right. And thanks to Max Blumenthal for joining us. And thanks to everybody yes. for tuning in. And we'll see you next week. See you next week. Hello, thank you so much for listening to and watching Useful Idiots. For full episodes and extended interviews, please subscribe at usefulidiots.substack.com. You can subscribe on YouTube at youtube.com slash usefulidiots for clips, live streams, and full episodes. Also, subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at usefulidiotpod and use the hashtag usefulidiotspod. Join us Mondays at 10 a.m. for the Useful Idiots Monday Morning Show, where we discuss the Sunday morning news shows so you don't have to watch them. 